This is the Impact Report. I'm your host, Katie Ullman. The Impact Report brings together students and faculty in Bard College's MBA in Sustainability program with leaders in business, sustainability, finance, social entrepreneurship, and more. These conversations go live the first and third Friday of each month. This week, Bard MBA alum Cindy Wasser speaks with Andrew Wright, president of Wright Architects. Andrew, thanks for joining us on the Impact Report podcast. Um, Let's start our conversation with you telling us a little bit about your professional background. Well, I'm an architect uh, who started out very, uh, I was in high school when I started drafting and building and loving to just see things come together. Uh, Once I finished architectural school, I worked for large firms at uh, Chicago and New York and uh, saw early on a a disconnect between clients, contractors, and architects, a triangular relationship. So as soon as I could, I started my own practice where we built our designs. It was design-build, and this is mid-'80s, so it was really kind of unheard of. But it's worked quite well, and it's also allowed us to do more with clients, saving time and money, uh, and applying sustainable sciences, and, uh, new technologies, uh, which has been a lot of fun. Who's on your team? What skill sets and specialties are represented? We have a variety. I have uh, a couple of architects who work with us who handle the um, you know, design and approvals because uh, we do a lot of work in Manhattan. We work actually all over the country. Uh, and then we also have uh, two people who are very good at the construction management end, keeping track of trades, uh, invoicing, timing. And then finally, we have uh, my wife is probably the foremost sustainable person in the in the state of New York as far as geothermal solar and its applications, because uh, it's a very it's a it's a new industry. It's kind of the wild west, and so we find a lot of folks out there are sort of half in it, and so she strains it out and gets it to work. We actually have successful, sustainable projects, <laughs> which is lovely. Tell us a little bit more about a typical project. You know, what what's the price point? Is it residential, commercial? Who's the client, et cetera? Well, we do a variety. Our, our, I guess our bread and butter is always New York City apartments and brownstones. I've done over 200 uh, apartments in the city where we go in and uh, we renovate apartments. It's mostly high-end residential, which is then spun off to homes in the Outer Adirondacks, uh, in Pennsylvania, Florida, all over. And it's um, it's all pretty much word of mouth. Uh, I'm just working right now with two clients that go back 25 years. I've gone to the next generation. I have did their projects, and I'm doing the kids and the cousins. And in one project, we're doing a grandchild. <laughs> so I'm feeling kind of old. But um, And we also do commercial, and um, we also do our own developments where we buy properties uh, and fix them up, rent them out, and um, it's kind of fun. So it's a variety, but I would say predominantly working with individual families and, uh, and residential. Do they typically seek your firm out because of your specialty in sustainability, or do you initiate that conversation about you know sustainable features that you could incorporate? We always bring it up. Every time I start with a, a project, I say, okay, good windows, good insulation, think about orientation, think about your usage, LED lighting, you know, the basics that 
if you do this in the beginning, you're you're halfway there because you don't want to put a very complicated, expensive system in and then be missing energy. But we also get seeked out. Uh, we just finished the largest uh, residential microgrid on Earth uh, in uh, Tuxedo Park, and that gentleman had learned about other projects we did, and uh, so he found us. And so a lot of our work is word of mouth, and now we're getting more into marketing and sharing our stories uh, with people. Great. What are the design features that you find are most important to your clients? Is it energy efficiency or healthy design, renewable energy, like that project you just mentioned? or um, And how much are like smart home features gaining traction among your clients? Oh, they're very important. Typically, it comes with, we need, you know, everyone comes to us with their problem. They need an addition. They need a bigger house, a smaller house, whatever. And uh, so we start with, okay, we'll solve your problems. And then in that, inevitably comes, you know, I'm living in New York City. I would love to have clean air. And so we say, great, we have a way of doing this. It's very simple, ERV, energy recovery vent, where you pressurize the in the inlet, and that makes the house be in a positive pressure. So when you open the door, a little whish, and then you exhaust less. And what that does is you have no dust. Can you imagine living in Manhattan with no dust on your windowsills? And it's also much healthier. So healthy is a number one. Two is energy, you know, energy conservation. And then it falls down from there uh, to what kind of equipment, uh, home control systems, things like that, which are more bells and whistles. But uh, healthy air is becoming more and more prevalent. Absolutely, yeah. It's a big consideration among home buyers. And I was also thinking about, you know, New York City renters might really appreciate homes that are well-sealed because, you know, no, there's fewer rodents, fewer, fewer cockroaches, fewer pests. So it's less gas <laughs> I lived in the city 10 years, and every time I turned on the kitchen light, it was like, okay, what's going on? <laughs> I see things <Yeah>. moving. <laughs> Have you seen, you know, the things that your clients are seeking out in terms of what features are most important to them changing over time? Yes. And the, the beauty of it is because it's being better, you know, it's being published more, it's becoming more prevalent in architectural magazines, even in things like uh, Architectural Digest the clients are better educated, so they know what to ask. And um, and I'm very fortunate that we're well, we're well versed in it, so we can explain you know the pros and cons and what will work, what it will cost them, what's going to be the maintenance going forward, so they don't buy a big heavy maintenance package and then you know freak out when they have to pay thousands of dollars for someone to come in and play with it all the time. So it's a the the last administration really pushed uh, clean energy, and uh, the local towns and governments have been picking up on that. I'm very lucky to be in Kingston, New York, which is a clean city in a clean county in a clean state, where the governor, county executive, and mayor all push programs and tax credits encouraging people to do this more. You mentioned before that you're doing a bigger marketing effort. Um, what does that look like? What strategies are you employing? What's really gaining traction for you? It's it's a combination of social media, some Facebook, um, which uh, is, is, you know, grown. You have LinkedIn. You have, I mean, I can't count the number of uh, new social media venues have come forth. But we also have a very large uh, mailing list. Over the years, you just collect clients friends, vendors, 
trying to launch um, a weekly or monthly newsletter. And it sort of talks about what we're doing and what successes we're having and what we find interesting. And uh, that's really been uh, just starting. It's really uh, getting a lot of feedback, which is amazing. I'm an older fellow, so the whole Internet is sort of like, wow. <laughs> I didn't realize you could get to so many people so quickly. We used to do direct mailing, and that was months of work for no response. And in what ways does your team demonstrate your commitment to sustainability? Do you place a large value on energy efficiency ratings, green building certifications, or another like third-party label? Well, it's really important that the government got involved in creating regulations. Uh, like in New York City, you can't do any project until you meet the energy code. But most energy codes, like other codes, are the minimal standards. So we kind of look at it and uh, we definitely uh, adhere to those guidelines, but I think it's more important that you go beyond it and solve the problem for the individual client. A client that wants an all-glass house on a south-facing slope, you've got to be much more careful about how you do your mechanicals and your insulation versus a house that's in shade or whatever. You want to be... Um, I do rely on, on publications a lot. I get tons of magazines here that give us not only the latest um, developments in sustainability, inverters, panels, wind power, but also the latest in designs. You know, we're responsible to come up with really good. I, I've, I've always thought it makes sustainable attractive. I mean, we've seen tons of sustainable buildings, commercial and residential, but you know, you live like a hobbit. You know, you're you're bur burrowed in with one little teeny window, and yeah, it's energy efficient. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put my best friend in there. So that's one of our biggest goals is to get really attractive, um, likable buildings that are, are very energy efficient. Could you tell us a little bit more about a project that you're working on currently? Well, the one we just finished was a large uh, 1928 mansion, about 20,000 square feet. Um, and it was just the client was expensing over a quarter million dollars a year in energy between oil, gas, and electric, and he only lived there two months a year. So we started with what was going to be a net zero. That means that you create as much energy as you use, and you're hooked to the grid, you know, the power company, utility company, and you sell them back your electricity, and then you draw from them. It turned out we needed so much energy to create that when in the summer when we had excess, the power company couldn't handle the load. They wanted us to give them like a million dollars to rebuild their infrastructure, their wires. Instead, we spent half a million on batteries and we're completely off the grid. So this is an exciting project because we had no idea it was the largest on earth until uh, Tesla was blowing up our phone trying to get a piece of this, but we went another direction, and so we looked into it and said, oh, this is cool. And so we created between geothermal wells, uh, a 1,000 solar panels, a bunch of solar thermal collectors, which are hot water, and a very sophisticated control system because there's two pools, the house, a guest house, a barn. We were able to keep an eye on this thing and trend it, and so it's really fascinating how you can monitor the usage of this family with their Teslas and their you know, they have cars they plug in, which spike the electric load. Uh, we're able to really understand how to better perfect the system so that we get to the point where we use no uh, um, 
it's completely off the grid. It's a completely, it's microgrid. And we see how this can apply to, you know, a typical house, a normal house, uh, you know, your or my house, you know, something where you don't have these budgets. Uh, if we can take that idea and apply it to someone's home, I think there's a huge market in that. And I think there's a great need in it because our electrical grids, our national grids are not doing well. Isn't it so exciting how that real-time monitoring and information is going to give us such great insight in the future of how to, you know, better maintain and operate our buildings? Big time. And the only thing that's kind of embarrassing, though, is when I see humidity levels go up up in the bedrooms, I know that my client's taking a shower. So maybe I'm getting a little bit too intimate with them. But <laughs> it's a, it, it is kind of fascinating that uh, you can see how uh, they live their lives. And it's like, you know, do you ever monitor yourself when you get up in the morning? How do you use your energy during the day? You probably don't even pay attention to it. But believe it or not, the morning, toasters, ovens, things like that go on. Energy goes up. And at night, lights come on. And then you're taking showers, so that creates energy. You're doing the dishwasher. So you can see it is fascinating to, to learn the, the human traits and then commercial traits and industrial traits, how these different buildings function, and then uh, design your system through automation remotely to take care of it. It is fascinating. What other technology innovations are you excited about right now? I'm really trying to focus on wind power. It's a it's an incredibly efficient system that's, you know, very well used in Massachusetts and Vermont and Pennsylvania. New York State is has it, but it's very difficult. There's a lot of people who are afraid of it. They don't like the way it looks, it makes noises, but wind power is a wonderful harvest in the evening when you don't have the sun power. Sun is wonderful during the day. You know, solar is your answer during summer days. But what do you do at night? The energy loads continue, especially air conditioning and all that. So we're trying to find better uh, turbines, better systems that will be more um, applicable to to uh, to communities that don't want to see these things or worry about birds and, and the noise. So that's kind of like where my head's going. Uh, and also better insulation, better windows, just the basic principles of, uh, of a tight house. Before you're describing the microgrid project, you mentioned that there is a little bit of friction with working with the utility company and getting the, the energy hooked up. Um, what other challenges are you facing or you're hearing about with regard to like rolling out you know, more sustainable um, systems and products? Well, the utility companies never never embraced solar energy because they make their money on charging for energy. So the concept of free energy is just, you know, they they don't like it. They have their overhead and their, their, uh, their line charges, the labor to just get the electricity there. So if it wasn't for the states to demand that they do this, we wouldn't have it. But the other problem is because it's a new industry, a lot of the vendors out there are... Um, they're new at it. They come in with a big dream, as I said, but then they they can't produce. Or you, you get a lead project or a huge grant to do a sustainable project. It's finished, and then a year later, the building is hemorrhaging energy because no one's maintained it or managed it or whatever. So I'm trying to make sure that what we do works and that who we work with, uh, finding within, we may have to, I had to find an engineer in St. Louis who could do our microgrid because he was the only person who had done a series that worked. We've, we've talked to many local people, but they, 
no one had uh, had uh, could could get through the vetting. So that's the big problem: is that it's growing so fast. You have a lot of cowboys out there, and they sort of shoot from the hip and then throw money at it until it's fixed. We'd rather do it right the first time, <laughs> and that's what we uh, focus on. How do you see the New York City kind of construction and design market changing? What's the future look like? New York City is a very, very difficult uh, jungle to work in. I've been working there for 30-plus years, 35 years, and you know, between the congestion, getting materials in and out, a friend of mine just did a hotel in Williamsburg, and he was brilliant. He had the whole thing modular in Europe, brought over on containers, and then the whole hotel, which I think is like 120 rooms, went up in, in a month. Done. And then he put a roof on it, and he was finished. So he got around the congestion problems, and he was able to control the product better. These rooms, which was each module, are very tight. They're very efficient. So from an energy standpoint, it's a win. Uh, from a cost standpoint, uh, you don't have to deal with weather problems. So New York City, you know, you, you see building after building go up. And you just know every time it's raining or snowing or freezing that nobody can do anything. There's just, you know, that's uh, they're just frozen. Or the president's in town, so they close all the streets. Well, there go your deliveries. So that's that's the big problem. And they have to get their energy under control. We work in many co-ops and condos on the Upper East Side, all over the city, that just, um, they just piss energy through these steam systems and loose windows. But, you know, they're shareholders. No one's really looking at it, and it's not a huge expense, so they just look the other way. But one day, everyone's going to have to be uh, very careful. And we did one geothermal, we did the only geothermal uh, single-family residence in Manhattan on 73rd Street, where I drilled a 1,000-foot well and it's called the standing column. And you you pump up the center and, and, and then dump on the sides. But it's a 15,000-foot residence that almost uses no energy. And the air conditioning runs beautifully. So it is possible to work within Manhattan, but you have to, you know, where do you start? It's, it's a huge uh, thing. I think the modular construction is exciting in part because of the sustainability, like the the building performance, but also it's a way that we can better speak to like the social side of sustainability because we can attract um, a different um, type of worker to those plants um, and, you know, pay, pay them fair wages. They're not immigrants that are coming in from somewhere else. Um, and because um, those are jobs that people might not be typically interested in coming out of college, um, you know, it's a way to get them into the industry. I agree. Because they're also, when you do factory-built homes, you need a more sophisticated worker. A lot of the stuff is automated. It's CNC machines, it's programming, it's coordinating, budgeting, and uh, it's also innovation. So, yeah, the typical worker, I mean, we all encourage the best and the highest education you can get for everybody. Uh, and we also encourage trying to, the part, a big part of sustainability is build local. So you're not spending enormous amounts of energy transferring uh, materials to and from. And also waste is a huge thing. Uh, I've noticed on my job sites where you don't have huge containers filled with half sheets of plywood and sheetrock that are just being thrown away. When you build a house, that was the normal thing. Some people just burn it off. Now when you prefab or when you modulize, you have almost no waste at all. 
And so that's good for the uh, the world in general. You know, less garbage, a better harvest of our materials, um, more green products that, you know, from cradle to grave is thought through. You don't create products that will never decompose or what do you do with it? It's like nuclear waste or plastics. I mean, these are, these are going to be our problems for a while, but hopefully we can bring down the uh, the use of it to almost zero. We have a little bit over five minutes left. Are, is there anything else that you think you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm excited uh, that the industry, the construction, architectural, development industry has melded beautifully with sustainable because it's now become a profitable method uh, to go through your projects. They used to come up with all kinds of best practice methods and how do you bring, you know, how do you save time, save energy? And no one really took the sustainable aspects uh, very seriously. But now it's, you know, LED lights are very affordable and they're very good. Air conditioning systems run on half the energy than they used to. Uh, tighter buildings means that you spend less on energy going forward for anyone who has rentals or whatever. So that's, for me, and having worked in this industry for 40 years, to see that now turn the corner and to see developers start the conversation with, okay, I want this to be energy efficient, I want this to be materially efficient and I want to try and make most I don't want to be destroyed by weather and and, and site problems. Yeah, that's a very healthy and a very good thing. So, you know, everyone should keep pushing with their congressmen and all that to push sustainable, push um green uh, issues as much as they can so that, you know, our kids will have a better world. Andrew, you've been doing this for 40 years. How have you seen your competitors change? Has the competition heated up as more people have started to specialize in the same area as you? Yes, and, and, and that's good. I mean, competition is always healthy because it makes you think, you know, uh, more clearly. And yes, they've been, I've seen a lot of my associates, colleagues, friends uh, start to, uh, you know, really embrace this. Uh, and it's uh, critical. And you know, let's face it, it's economics. When you have tax credits being offered by your state and by the feds to do historic restoration, do sustainable, then, you know, you, your clients are going to say, hey, I want a piece of that, and and rightfully so. And so, yes, it's, it is heating up. It is becoming more mainstream. It's it's part of the conversation on everyday basis. And so I'm I'm happy about that. And, yes, competition is, is uh, there. A lot of people who are getting smart, and uh, I like that <laughs> because you know you sometimes work in collaboration with other firms and and your competitors, and and I like that because uh, then we're all thinking and helping each other do better. Great. Well, that's a really positive note to end on. So thank you so much, Andrew, for this conversation today. I think this is really fascinating. No, no problem. I love to share what we're doing. Learn more about Wright Architects and their latest projects by visiting WrightArchitectsPLLC.com. A new season of the Impact Report starts in February 2019. For our complete lineup and other news, visit us at ImpactReportPodcast.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.
Bard MBA in Sustainability is one of a select few graduate programs globally that fully integrates sustainability into a core business curriculum. Learn more at bard.edu/mba.